It's called the Disciples Prayer. It's a prayer that's found here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. We're taking a look at the right kind of righteousness in praying. Join us, Graceful Truth, with Pastor Steve Converse is next. Ephesians 6, 18 says, Pray always with all prayer and supplication. For who? For all the saints. Pray for everybody. I mean, you know if you just focus on yourself during your prayer life, you've missed the point. That's not what it's about. He's not your father. He's our father. Important point. Fifth thing there, see God as father. It settles the matter of resources. (laughs) Because you look at where he's at. Our father uh, down on the back nine. No, our father, where's he at? In heaven. In heaven. The abundance of, re- of, of resources, rich, heaven's resources are at our disposal. And God wants us to understand that. And through his sovereign and divine will, he'll, he'll bless us in our lives as we cry out to him in prayer. He's not drawing from the world to meet our needs. He's drawing from heaven. That makes a big difference. Arthur Pink said this, If God is in heaven, then prayer needs to be a thing of the heart and not the lips. For no physical voice on earth can rend the skies. If God is in heaven, then our souls must be detached from the earth. If we pray to God in heaven, then faith must wing our petitions. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth. Welcome to the broadcast. As mentioned just a moment ago, we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, taking a look at the disciples' prayer, something that most of us recite thinking that's the actual prayer, and in actuality, it's more of an outline. Today, we focus on God's priority, understanding uh, the concept of our Father who art in heaven. What does our Father mean? What are the names of God? And why is this important when it comes to our prayer life? We'd invite you to join us as we seek to find the answers together here today on Graceful Truth. This edition of Graceful Truth Now, here's Pastor Steve Converse. He says, Our Father. Why? Why does he say, why didn't he just say Father in heaven? Why does he have to say Our Father? Father. Who's he talking about? Well, the positive, first of all, is he's referring to believing people, people who believe in Christ, people who believe in God, people who've committed their lives to God. It's an exclusory comment there. He doesn't just say, oh, God's the father of everybody. He said, no, he's our father. And there's theology that goes around that talks about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man and, oh, God is everybody's father and all this stuff. It's very liberal theology. And we're all going to be saved universally, and it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Malachi 2.10 says, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? So in that sense, and in that sense only, that we're created by one God, He is our Father. But here, when He's talking about our Father, He's talking about a relationship more than just being creator-created. He's talking about an intimate relationship. And not everybody has that. First John chapter uh, 3 He clearly lays out for us the characteristics of two families. You know, there's two families in the world today. There's the children of God and there's the children of the devil. That's it. Those two. You can't, you know, you can't kind of meet halfway in between. Have one foot in, one foot out. You know, do the hokey pokey kind of deal. That's not going to work with God. All right, you are fully committed to him or you're committed to the devil. You may not even know you're committed to the devil. But if you're not 
living for God, if you're not living for Christ, if you haven't come to the cross and trusted Him and cried out to Him and said, you know, God, my life hasn't been so great so far. I, I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm coming to you and I'm recognizing that, that I, I'm tired of trying to live life the way I've been doing it because it's a dead-end street. I get frustrated and then, you know, I just end up with problem after problem after problem. God, I'm going to give you a try. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Come to the cross of Christ. He'll change your life. He'll make you one of his children. The children of God do not continue to commit sin, the Bible says. doesn't mean they're perfect. We all sin in a myriad of ways every day. But the Bible says to continue purposefully, to go out with intent. That's what the children of the devil do, not the children of God. And so... It makes a distinction between the children of the God, of God and children of the devil. The Apostle Paul makes that same distinction clear, calling the children of light and the children of darkness. So there's not just one family under the fatherhood of God. That's not how it works. You have to have a relationship with the Father. How do we have a relationship with the Father? Well, that's through the Son. Jesus makes that abundantly clear. When he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the what? Father, but through me. He's the door. He's the only door. There's no back door. There's no side door. There's no hidden door. He's it. Only those who have put their faith, their trust in Christ, have been born again by His Spirit, are part of the family of God and can call out to God and say, Father. So when He says here, when Jesus says, Our Father, He eliminates the world of unbelieving people from that relationship. And because He is our Father, we have that intimate relationship with him that's just incredibly wonderful i don't know what your relationship with your father is maybe good it may be horrible i don't know but you know what god does and god's saying you know what you may not have had a good childhood you may not have have, have dealt with a lot in your life or you've just dealt with a tremendous amount and what god is saying this morning is i want to be your father i want to reach out to you and i want to be a father to the fatherless he says in the old testament they understood the fatherhood of god They understood what that meant. But when it came to Jesus' time and Jesus' culture, the Jews somehow lost it. They just, they they lost that intimacy. And so when they went out to pray, they would just, you know, say generic prayers. A little prayer book and they just repeat these prayers for everything under the sun. And Jesus was calling them back to that intimacy. And I think today Jesus is calling us back to an intimacy in our relationship with Him through prayer. I don't think really until Jesus came to earth that Israel could really understand the intimacy that God wanted to have with them. Remember what Philip said to Jesus, show us the Father. Remember that? And his response was, have you been so long with me, Philip, and you don't know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? See, that brought intimacy to a God that was kind of pushed away from them. They had a a wide gulf between themselves and their God. But they understood it in the Old Testament. Time and time again, we see that. They understood what it meant to have a relationship with a father. They understood it in the purpose of, in the idea that it was, they were begat by the father, that he created them. So they had that relationship with him, that he was their father. He was the father of the nation of Israel, it says. First Chronicles, it says, he is the God of Israel, our father. Secondly, they had a concept that they understood that the father of the Jews, they saw the nearness of God through the fatherhood. See, when you you attach a name to our relationship with God, it's a father-son relationship. That also kind of brings up some nearness to it. Because a father is not like an uncle or a cousin or a neighbor. 
A father's a direct relationship. And so they, they knew when he talked about father, whoa, that's, that's, that's talking about something pretty close. Psalm 68, it says, he is the father to the fatherless. It's important to have a father or a father figure. I lost my dad when I was seven. Lost my mom when I was three, but I had father figures. I had mother figures in my life, so it didn't affect me that adversely, I don't think. I know my wife says maybe it did, but, you know. You know, but it, it's, it's, it's something that I think when you, you don't have it, you don't really miss it. But when you have it, and then all of a sudden it's gone, I, I couldn't imagine that. So they understood the nearness. They also understood the concept of God because of his grace as a father. Psalm 103, in there it says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. See, he's like a merciful father. He's gracious. He's gentle. And that's how they saw God. They also really thank God for his guidance as a father. You know, there's one thing that a father can do that maybe nobody else can do. And, and from very young childhood. Our neighbors just had a baby about a week ago. We were over there yesterday visiting with them. A uh, little guy's name's Cooper. And, uh, um, you know, and his dad was holding him. And it's just so neat to see that bonding starting to take place even there. And at one point, the dad was kind of playing with his little hand there and he grabbed a hold of his dad's hand. And he wouldn't let it go. Just wouldn't let it go. And there's that bonding going on. And eventually... You know, I said, boy, there's going to be a lot of times that you're going to, you know, eventually he's going to be asked for the keys to the car and all sorts of things. You know, don't think it's going to have, he's going to be like this the rest of your life. And it's, you know, it's, it's those times that you provide guidance. Psalm, or Jeremiah 31, 9 says this, They will come with weeping, they will come with supplications, and I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. Why? Because I am a father of Israel. See, God understands his role and guidance. That's why he wants us to come to him in prayer. You got problems in your life? You got issues? Go to God in prayer and say, God, help me. I need your guidance. New Testament says that, you know what, we don't get answers to our prayers sometimes because we're, we're not asking the right, the right questions. We're not asking for the right things. It says we're asking amiss. But God says, I want to guide you. I want to help you in your life. That's the kind of father we have in God. You know, a lot of people reject God because they had a rotten childhood. They had a rotten father. They had a father that didn't do all these things we're talking about this morning. I'm here to tell you that God can heal those hurts. I guarantee it if you just give him a chance. If you cry out to him and say, God, you know what? I don't understand all that's going on here, but I, I, I understand one thing. I have a big need in my life, and I think you're maybe the guy that can help me meet it. You're the God that come, can come into my life and, and meet the needs that I have because they're so great. He'll heal the scars. He'll heal the hurts. The other thing... Father-son relationship brings is the requirement to obey. A requirement to obey. Uh, you know, the one thing that a father and son have are, you know, usually the father will say, son, I want you to do this. Well, if the son is going to be respectful of the father, what will the son do? Yes, dad, and they'll go do it. Now, I know that's a far-fetched from reality, but that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, some of you younger people may not remember this, but there was actually a show one time. Get ready for this. The name of the, the show was called Father Knows Best. Can you believe it? That would never be on TV today. You know, you got doofuses like the Simpsons and all this other stuff that take the fatherhood and they kind of just grind it down into the mud and, you know, the dads are basically, you know, diminished to this dumb idiot that walks around and mumbles to himself. I mean, it's, it's so sad. 
And yet, God has lifted up fatherhood, and he wants to be your father. But the one thing he does, he wants you to obey. He wants you to obey. Can you treat your father with disrespect and disobedience? Well, you can, but there'll probably be consequences. Even if your father doesn't give you consequences, there'll be consequences. But our Heavenly Father, in the Jewish mindset, they understood them him as creator. They understood them as a loving God, somebody who came alongside and was guiding them and was training them, help them obey the principles. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus kind of reiterates that whole thinking in the New Testament. In, in verse uh, 7, he says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Knock, and you shall find... And and it shall knock and it shall be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he that finds, and, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be open. Well, why is that? In verse nine he goes on. Why is that when you're going to you know knock that God's going to open the door? When you're going to seek, he's going to help you find. Why does that happen? In verse nine he says, Of what man is there among you if his son asks for bread, would you give him a stone? That would be pretty sad. That would be a pretty ch- tough childhood. Hey, Dad, I'm hungry. You know, can I have a loaf of bread? Yeah, I hit a rock. Boom, you know. I mean, can you imagine that? Or he asks of a fish and you give him a serpent. <laughs> hey, I feel like a trout today, Dad. Yeah, well, here's a snake. <laughs> and then he goes on. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more is your heavenly Father who is in heaven give good things to them who ask? See, he's introducing the fact that God is caring, that he's loving, that he's a sustaining father. He's not some guy that's in heaven mad and angry at the world with a big hammer waiting for you to step out of line so he can squash you like a bug. That's not the kind of father that we have. And they had all sorts of different thoughts back then, what fathers were to be. And part of it came out of of their understanding of their gods and all that, that kind of a mixed thing that they had in their head. And, I, you know, the one thing that's, that's, that's interesting is one group of folks, they, they believe that basically God was kind of apathetic and he had no feelings and, and, and the other ones believe that he was so isolated from everybody because he didn't want to be emotionally attached to anybody. And so you can see where in Jesus' day, when they came to prayer to talk to God who was their father, they had a whole mix-up in their head. And Jesus wanted to set them straight. So he starts off this prayer with our Father who art in heaven. You know, Jesus always used that title when he addressed God, except one time. There's only one time in the Bible where Jesus did not address his Father as Father. And that was when he was on the cross, when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the only time that Jesus did not address his Father as Father. And it was because of the punishment that he was taking, the the separation that was there because of the sin of the world placed upon his shoulders. At all other times, that intimacy was there in his life. And I think that that's what God wants from us. He wants a prayer life that's an intimate prayer life. You know, people don't understand prayer today. They think prayer is going to a church and lighting a candle and a bunch of beads in your hands and, you know, praying to some statue and kissing the feet, whatever, all those things. It's crazy. The Bible doesn't speak of those things. The Bible says that we have a personal relationship with a God through Jesus Christ and he wants us to cry out to him time and time again. Well, what does it mean? Who cares about all this? <laughs> You know, what significance is this to us? Well, first of all, I think that when we understand our relationship with God, that He is our Father, I think, first of all, it means that there's an end of fear 
in our lives. You know, a lot of our lives are dominated with fear. And there's one thing a father does, a righteous, righteous father, is it kind of takes that, that fear away. You feel secure. Have you ever seen a little boy or a little girl that's lost in a mall? And they're just freaking out. They're scared and they're almost, you know, just, just going nuts. And finally you find the parents and you hook them up as soon as, as, soon as you connect those two. It could be mother or father, whatever. But as soon as you bring that parent figure into, boy, everything just calms down. And the fear has gone away. You know, that's the hardest thing a lot of times when you're dealing with some chaplain situations where, you know, a father or a mother's got to be taken away by the police and you're dealing with the kids. And you're trying to dispel that fear, but there's not a whole lot you can do because their mom and daddy are taken away in the police car and, you know, you're waiting for the relatives to come or whatever it might be and you're trying to entertain them. But, man, the only thing they know is fear at that point. I don't know you and you're the only one I do know you're taken away in handcuffs. Secondly, it gives us hope. That God is our Father. It gives us hope. See, back then, a lot of people didn't have hope. There was nothing for them to hope in. They were going through the religious things left and right and just kind of walking through the, the uh, you know, rituals and doing all that. And there was no hope. The hope was kind of sucked out of them. We serve a God of hope because He's a loving God. He cares for us. That's what He wants us to do. He wants us to be a hopeful people. You know, I think a lot of Christians need to be filled up with some hope. I mean, we walk around, whoa, it's me, you know, yeah. Oh, you know, what church do you go to? Oh, I go to the hopeless church, you know. It's just, man, put some joy in your life. I appreciate Hassan this morning, man. I thought, boy, what, did he have a couple coffees this morning or what? But, you know, it was good. You know, got people going, and, and I think that that's important. When we come to the house of God, we should be excited. And, you know, it's, and, and we all have different personalities. I mean, I'm, I know I'm probably, you know, not the most excitable personality. So you're probably looking at me going, well, well you should look at what you're looking like up there. But, I, you, know, that's, that's, you know, that's with that said, our hearts should be joyful. And we want to worship the Lord because of that hope that we have. And I think it, it's so important we focus on that. And also, you know what? People go through life lonely. Just bottom line, lonely. And, you know, I, I thank God all the time that I came to Christ when I did, at the time I did. Because, you know what, that loneliness never really set in, in my life. There, there wasn't a point in my life where, you know, I was just unmarried and just lonely. I just found everything in that Christ filled me up in every aspect of my life. Not because I was some big spiritual giant. I mean, I had major issues. But I'm just saying that when I came to Christ, I found all those needs met through Him. And when that happened, when I was content in those circumstances, here I was, you know, 33 and, and still not married and every visiting pastor to our church well, hey you know I got a couple of girls we can hook you up with or whatever oh you got to get married just constant drone of things you know you can't be single and be in ministry and all this stuff and you eventually you know I, I didn't bow to that pressure I just said nah, this, yeah, this is where God has me and I was content just out of the blue one day <laughs> God said marry this woman <laughs> no but you know it was almost you know I mean, but that's what it needed. I mean, to be a big revelation because I was content, happy doing what it, youth stuff and, you know, didn't even really date. I was just kind of focused on ministry and I thought, boy, this is, I understand what Paul's saying. You know, if you're single, man, you can just give everything you have to ministry. If you're married, you've got to worry about the cares of this world. But you know what? I'd, I'd never go back, ever. Especially, I'd say that because my wife's sitting here. But, you know, I, I would never, ever think of going back. Because, you know what? When you're content in that situation, then God makes you even more content just amazing what God does. And he makes you whole too. Because my wife brings an aspect to our relationship that, that I definitely don't bring. And, uh, and, and I thank God for that every day. Fourth thing there, 
it's a matter of selfishness. It kind of limits our, our selfishness. When he doesn't say they're my father, see that? What's he say? He says our father. See, Jesus is teaching us here that our prayer life is not just about me. It's not about us all the time. Stop and if you have a prayer list at, at your home and you do a devotion in life and you get up in the morning and you have a prayer list, look at that prayer list. I challenge you, look at it. And count how many times you're listed and count how many times other people are listed. When you're praying, focus and say, okay, you know what, am I just praying about myself and me and my and all this stuff or, or am I considerate about other people? Am I considerate about the body of Christ? Because he doesn't want us to come to him with a selfish attitude. He wants us to come to him in prayer kind of embracing the community of faith that we belong to. That's why there's no singular pronoun in this whole prayer. Not one. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray always with all prayer and supplication. For who? For all the saints. Pray for everybody. I mean, you know if you just focus on yourself during your prayer life, you've missed the point. That's not what it's about. He's not your father. He's our father. Important point. Fifth thing there. See, God as Father, it settles the matter of resources. <laughs> because you look at where he's at. Our Father, uh, down on the back nine? No, our Father, where's he at? In heaven. In heaven. The abundance of, re- of, of resources, rich, heaven's resources are at our disposal. And God wants us to understand that. And through his sovereign and divine will, he'll, he'll bless us in our lives as we cry out to him in prayer. He's not drawing from the world to meet our needs. He's drawing from heaven. That makes a big difference. Arthur Pink said this, If God is in heaven, then prayer needs to be a thing of the heart and not the lips. For no physical voice on earth can rend the skies. If God is in heaven, then our souls must be detached from the earth. If we pray to God in heaven, then faith must wing our petitions. That's so, so true. Sixthly there, he says, Seeing God as Father settles the matter of obedience. We're called to obey God the whole point of the fatherhood of, of God comes down to the fact that, that basically we are to obey. Jesus said, obey the Father. He said, I didn't come to do my own will, right? He set an example for us. Not my will, but whose will? Your will be done. It's not about us. And I think the, the, the quicker we remember that, the more blessed we'll be in our prayer, prayer life. And then, last thing there is the matter of, of wisdom. God is far more wise than we would ever dream of being. We need to cry out to him as our father and ask him for wisdom. He'll give it to you. That's the amazing thing. God is just waiting. Come on, pray. Pray, communicate with me. I want to I I bless your socks off. But I want that relationship with you. I want that intimate relationship with you through Christ. You have to have that first. If you don't have that, you can pray all day long. Nothing's going to happen. There's only one prayer from an unbeliever God ever hears is, Be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I need salvation. I repent of my sins. I want to turn to you. God will hear that prayer and he'll answer it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger for prayer, not only in our own lives, but in our church. Lord, we thank you that because you're our Father, we're not just lost in a crowd of people, that it's a personal relationship. Every time we pray to you, Lord, we know that you're there. And Father, we thank you that you take away the fear and provide the hope and take away the the loneliness that some of us deal with sometimes. Father, we pray that our prayer lives with you would grow. Our hunger for the word of God would grow. Lord, that we would 
become people of prayer, not just so we could look spiritual to other people, but Father, that we would strengthen our communion with you. Lord, if there's any here today who's yet to cry out to you, Lord, to be merciful to me, a sinner, Father, I pray that you would tug at their heart, that you would show them that there's a better way to live, that there's a way that that is just so full of your blessings. And, And Lord, we can only have that through your grace, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would cause them to turn from their sin, to repent. Lord, it's the attitude of the heart that they would cry out to you, that you would save them, that you would extend your grace to them. And Lord, we thank you for that and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650 650- 366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Music